Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Susie on in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Reactions continue to pour in in the wake of the leaked U.S. Supreme Court draft opinion. It suggests the nation's highest court is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade and end the constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. Politico broke the news last night with a document written by conservative Justice Samuel Alito. In the draft, which the chief justice has now confirmed is real, Alito says it's time to, quote, heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Today on the show, we examine what this ruling, if it comes to pass, would mean for reproductive rights in this country. Later, we'll hear from Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker for his thoughts. But first, joining us now to discuss if Congress could take action in the absence of Roe is Amanda Becker. She's a Washington correspondent for the 19th, an independent nonprofit newsroom. Amanda, can you give us a sense of what could happen if, when SCOTUS overturns Roe v. Wade? I read about half of U.S. states are already expected to ban abortion if Roe falls. That's correct. So essentially what will happen if this decision comes out as expected, because again, this was a draft, it could in theory change. If this comes out and they overturn Roe v. Wade, the decision will be left up to the states. So there are about half of states that either have a law already on the books from in the past or have what's called a trigger law that will immediately go into effect in the event that Roe is overturned that will ban abortion in some form, whether it's, uh, you know, one of the early stage so-called heartbeat laws or something similar or goes even farther. So we will have kind of a patchwork of laws in this country. And depending on what state that you live in, uh, that will determine whether you have access to abortion care. Can you talk about some of the recent court cases that have paved the way for conservative states to restrict abortion access? So it's really gained steam this term in front of the Supreme Court. They um, have there was a really restrictive law in Texas that people may have heard about Mm -hmm. that essentially empowered everyday citizens to turn people in for either um, getting or aiding someone in getting an abortion. The court kind of declined to intervene at several points in that case. It's technically still, the merits are still outstanding, but there are kind of procedural intermediary steps in which the court can say, you know, we don't have a good feeling about this law. So while we're considering it, we'll will you know say that it's not in effect they they didn't do that in the texas case mm-hmm. um so this court really changed balance um last term under you know president trump when he installed amy coney barrett and that really tipped the scales um especially on the issue of abortion on the supreme court so we've really just in the past couple of years seen this gain steam because anti-abortion activists were feeling empowered like they finally had the numbers on the court to challenge some of these laws Now, you've written about Democrats calling for legislation to codify abortion rights into federal law. Uh, Why hasn't that happened? Well, Roe has been around for nearly 50 years, 49 and a half years. Congress has not codified it in that time. I think what's important to know, there's two things. So first of all, uh, the division in Congress on this issue does not reflect the electorate. So if you look at the electorate, the American electorate very consistently for the past 50 years has believed that 
people should have some form of abortion access. Now, people vary in terms of, you know, how late into a pregnancy they believe people should have that right or under what conditions, such as rape or incest or something like that. But, you know, Americans do generally believe the majority does believe in some form of abortion rights. We are at the point in Congress now where there is very little nuance in the parties. In the the House of Representatives, there is one representative who's a Democrat, Henry Cuellar of Texas, who is anti-abortion. He is actually in a primary runoff against a young woman named Jessica Cisneros next month or later this month, actually. I forget. Mm-hmm. It's already May. Yeah. Um, and so he's he's the last man standing among mm-hmm. the Democrats in terms of being opposed to abortion. On the Senate side, um, there are two Democrats, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, who identify as being, quote unquote, pro-life, although they have at times supported some forms of abortion access. Mm-hmm. But for example, Joe Manchin did not support in February when the Senate took up a bill to codify Roe called the Women's Health Protection Act. There are also two Republicans in the Senate, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, who embrace some abortion rights. So, you know, the parties are really polarized on this issue at this point in time in a way that the American people aren't necessarily. And what's important to remember in terms of why they haven't been able to codify this up until this point, because again, right now, Democrats are in control of the Senate, the House, and the White House, is that this has been a relatively recent political realignment. Mm -hmm. It has happened within most of our lifetimes. It wasn't so long ago when Bill Clinton was, you know, president in the 90s, Democratic president, Democratic Congress, that the mantra from Democrats was still fair, safe, and and, um, rare. So, and legal. So, you know, there's really kind of been a recent political evolution and polarization on this issue that has made it nearly impossible to codify it. Now, going forward, they just don't have the numbers. Uh, They need 60 Democrats in the Senate. It is 50-50 right now. Um, There are two Republicans who might embrace codifying Roe, but again, there are two Democrats who might not. That's why people might hear talk of um, changing the Senate filibuster Mm -hmm. rule, which requires 60 votes to pass most legislation. But again, it doesn't look like Democrats have the numbers to do that either. So we're kind of at a standstill. The House passed that legislation, the Women's Health Protection Act, earlier this year. Again, it was filibustered in the Senate. And so everything has kind of ground to a halt. Well, it certainly sounds like there is uh, there could be an impact uh, on elections this year with this potential ruling. Yeah, you know, I would be really looking at, in particular, not only the competitive Senate races, because there's about a half dozen in states like New Hampshire, Arizona. I would also be looking at states where there are competitive governor's races this year in November, where they might have Republican-controlled legislatures. Because if you have a Republican state legislature but a Democratic governor, they're going to be the backstop to prevent any um, further restrictions of abortion getting through in that state unless they get veto-proof majority. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, um, states with Democratic legislatures that get a Democratic governor in a competitive race might be able to pass legislation on a state level to protect abortion access. So right now, with Congress at such a standstill, I do think we are going to see this play out in the states on both sides of this issue. Yeah. Well, polls show that a majority of Americans support legal abortion. So how did this become a partisan issue? 
it was designed to be a partisan issue uh, back in the 70s and Mm -hmm. 80s when anti-abortion advocates started using this. Abortion essentially rejiggered our political party. So it, uh, you know, it's what drove Catholic American voters more into the Republican Party for many, many decades. They were a loyal Democratic constituency. For the first time, you saw Catholic voters aligning politically with evangelical voters over this issue. So while you know, the majority of Americans has changed, uh, hasn't changed rather, in terms of supporting abortion access. This was used to um, kind of switch who identified with what party. And it was used really effectively by mm-hmm. people who opposed abortion, I would say, to a greater degree than those who support abortion access. And we just have a few moments left here. Uh, but just to reiterate, this is a leaked draft decision, uh, not set in stone, but what should we be looking out for in the next few months about this decision? So we do expect the general expectation was that we would get the actual decision sometime in June, because that's when the court hands down a lot of its biggest rulings. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would look for that to come out sometime in the next six weeks, probably. Um, It could, I don't know if this will affect the timing, if they might put it out sooner after this has happened. Um, I would obviously be very interested if the if the vote tally changes and for mm-hmm. some reason one of the conservative justices does not end up signing on to this draft opinion that was leaked of yeah. uh, Justice Alito. Also, I would be looking at some of the nuance. I mean, mm-hmm. there were a lot of footnotes in this opinion that could affect marriage equality, yeah. that could affect access to contraception, um, that could affect a variety of things. I'm relying on what's known as the right to privacy that's not yeah. explicitly stated mm-hmm. in the Constitution but has been recognized. So, you know, this potentially could have a far-reaching yeah. impact that goes beyond abortion. Amanda Becker is the Washington correspondent for the 19th and Independent Nonprofit Newsroom. Thanks for joining us. Let's turn now to Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker for his reaction to the news. Governor Pritzker, welcome back to Reset. Thanks so much, Susie. Great to be here. So what's been going through your mind since this news broke last night? Well, I mean, I have to say that this decision, which people are talking about as, you know, abortion ending, does not mean that abortion will end. It means that in half the states where their governors and legislatures have declared war on reproductive rights. Women will be forced to get dangerous and sometimes deadly procedures. Mm -hmm. And as with everything, that burden is then going to fall disproportionately on the most marginalized women, those who are poor, those who are black or brown. They are going to bear the highest cost of this decision. That's what's been going through my head. And, you know, here in Illinois, We've been working hard to protect a woman's right to choose. Uh, We have passed laws, the Reproductive Health Act, uh, to make sure that we're protecting, even in the case of Roe v. Wade being overturned, uh, a woman's reproductive rights. But just because we've done it here in Illinois does not mean that we shouldn't be fighting for it all across the country. And it's frankly a dangerous precedent because it it isn't Mm -hmm. one decision about reproductive rights alone. It's really about many, many other privacy rights. What conversations are you having with leaders around the state and, and in our region about this news? Well, there are states all around Illinois that are going to be anti-choice states if this ruling is handed down. And so you can imagine that there's great fear among the leaders in those states who are pro-choice. 
that uh, the people in their state are going to be essentially refugees for reproductive rights to Illinois, where we protect those rights. Um, they also are looking to, you know, how are we going to reverse the political situation in their states to protect women's uh, freedom of choice. And so those are conversations that we're having. I think there is a political sea change that is going to take place now. You are going to see what you saw on January 21st, 2017 with the Women's March. You're going to see people marching all across this country, people being becoming more activists and more mm -hmm. engaged, uh, people particularly who want to protect women's rights. Now, Chief Justice John Roberts is confirming the authenticity of the draft opinion, uh, but he says it doesn't represent the court's final decision. What do you make of that? Do you, do you think there's a possibility that it could change in the next two months? Well, we know that there is a majority on this court that is anti-choice. So uh, I think it's a, you know, it's a fair bet here that whether this draft is the final draft or not, that this court is headed for overturning Roe v. Wade. I, I hate to say that, but, uh, you know, we've been warned, just to be cl clear. I mean, there were warnings uh, over and over again that this could happen. And there are an awful lot of people who didn't want to believe it. So, you know, I, I, I've been saying, you know, if you think the Republican politicians who have engineered the court's reversal of Roe v. Wade are going to stop with that, well, that's that's just not true. Mm -hmm. This is just the beginning. They're going to take away marriage equality. They're going to take away civil rights for marginalized and minority communities. And frankly, if they can reverse a 50-year-old uh, settled uh, case and law, then every Supreme Court decision that's been made that's you know made us freer and made this country fairer uh, could be reversed by this court. And as you mentioned, more than 20 states are poised to ban or, or severely restrict abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Uh, and last night you wrote on Twitter that as long as your governor, quote, Illinois will stay a beacon for reproductive freedoms. What's your message to women who would be affected by this? Well, once again, I, I mean, I'm proud of our state, of our legislature, our pro-choice uh, majority legislature. Uh, that we have been able to establish Illinois as a protected, pro-choice, pro-women's rights state. But as you're implying, you know, the people who live in states all around us, and frankly, all the way to Texas, we've seen already them coming to our state because mm -hmm. they know they're protected here. They can get their reproductive freedoms carried out, and uh, they're afraid to be in their own state. So we're going, you know, we've already seen more than 7,000 uh, people come to Illinois to uh, get an abortion or to exercise their reproductive freedom. And we're going to see many, many more, there's no doubt, uh, in the coming years if this ruling is what gets decided. That's Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Governor Pritzker, thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you, Susie. Governor Pritzker, just one of many state and local leaders speaking up about the very real possibility that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. The governor held a press conference with several Democratic legislators to speak on the news this morning. Today I am angry. I'm angry for the women who feared this very moment, who in 2020 
turned out in record numbers to protect reproductive freedoms. I am angry at the men who've decided that their right to bodily autonomy is freedom, but my right to bodily autonomy is illegal. We saw the warnings. Here in Illinois, we've done a lot of the work to build that force field. So our responsibility is to think about what else our force field needs. What else do the women and, and pregnant people coming from other states that restrict abortion need when they come to us? Illinois is not going back. We will always stand strong for reproductive health and a person's right to choose because it is the right thing to do. The voices you heard there were State Representative Sonia Harper, State Representative Kelly Cassidy, and Illinois House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch. Meanwhile, first-term Republican U.S. Representative Mary Miller of Oakland praised a ruling knocking down Roe v. Wade. She wrote on Twitter, quote, Our justices need your prayers to stand up to the radical abortion industry and defend life. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot also took to social media to voice her thoughts on the matter. She called the leaked draft opinion a, quote, horrendous attack on our fundamental right to choose. Advocate groups on both sides of the issue are also weighing in on what this could mean for the future of abortion access. It means simply that state lawmakers have to get to work to enact strong state laws and a policy to protect life across the country. It's the reality which we have been preparing for. We're not surprised. This will open up a floodgate to many, many of the other standing you know, laws that have been argued and won at the Supreme Court in regards to freedoms for Americans. The voices you heard there were Stephen Aiden with Americans United for Life, a group that's trying to ban abortion in state legislatures nationwide, and Michelle Colon with the re- reproductive rights group Shiro Mississippi. Both spoke with NPR reporter Sarah McCammon. That's it for today's Reset Podcast. For more conversations on state and city news and how it affects you, make sure this podcast is in your feed. And please give us a rating. It helps other listeners just like you find us. I'm Suzanne in for Sasha Ann Simons. We'll have a new episode for you right here tomorrow afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.